Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Orlando Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. And I want to just share some really simple things with you here. You know, sometimes the simplest things are the hardest to teach because people say, oh, I know that. But we don't know this. If we knew it, we would have the results that the Word of God says we would have. And I want to point out in verse 16, the apostle Paul was speaking. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it talking about the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There's more in this, these two verses than what I can preach tonight, but I just want to share some simple things with you here about this, that the gospel is the power of God. The word power there is talking about dunamis, the miraculous, miracle-working power of God. It's the same root word that we get dynamite from, and dynamo. It is the power of God unto salvation. And the word salvation has been interpreted by the church to refer to only the forgiveness of sins. It includes that, but it's not limited to that. The word salvation here is sozo, S-O-Z-O, and it literally means healing, deliverance, forgiveness of sins, prosperity. Anything that Jesus died to produce is what this is talking about. And this same word was translated over in James chapter five. I won't take time to turn over there, but it says, is anybody sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The word save there is sozo and it's talking about healing. It was literally translated healing a number of places in scripture. So the point that I'm making is religion has taught us that when you use the word salvation, it is limited to just your initial born again experience, the forgiveness of your sins. But in the Bible, the word sozo is an all encompassing word that refers to everything that Jesus died to produce. So you could say that the gospel is the power of God unto healing. It's the power of God unto prosperity. It's the power of God unto deliverance from oppression in emotions and things like this. It's the power of God to heal your relationships. It's the power of God to give you vision. Everything hinges on the gospel. And the word gospel has been misunderstood too. There's people today who will say, you know, they'll get up and they'll say, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. And then they'll say, I'm preaching the gospel. That's not the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. And actually it means even more than that. I've studied this one commentary and they said outside of the Bible, in all of the Greek literature, and we've got a lot of Greek literature from thousands of years, and outside of the Bible, the word, the Greek word that was used for gospel here was only used twice in all of Greek literature. It was a word that existed before the Bible was written, but it was an obscure word. Nobody used it because it literally means good news, but it means such good news that it's impossible. It's too good to be true news is what it's talking about. 
And so I like to say this is the too good or nearly too good to be true news is what the word gospel means. And so he says, it's the nearly too good to be true news about Jesus. See, prior to Jesus, nothing was nearly too good. Everything was bad. Everything had a bad side to it. But when Jesus came along, they took this obscure word that was hardly ever used and it became a dominant word for describing what Jesus did because what Jesus did was nearly too good to be true. Now, let me just ask you, when a person says, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn, is that nearly too good to be true? I'm not denying that there is a heaven and a hell and that you do have to believe on the Lord Jesus to be saved. I'm not saying that we don't need to tell people that there is an eternal punishment and that they need to commit their life to the Lord, but I'm saying that's not the gospel. Those things are true, but that is not the power of God. It is true that we need to tell people that there is an accountability to the Lord. There is, it is true that we need to tell people there are consequences to sin. If you've watched my television program in the last month or so, I've been talking about that we need to make disciples and the Lord said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, to go teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And I've been teaching on social issues against homosexuality, against abortion, creationism versus evolution. And those are just three of the hot items today. There's a lot of other things. We need to tell people and we need to tell people those things. I'm not saying that we don't tell people that there is a need for making Jesus your Lord and that you need to escape hell and make heaven. But I am saying that that's not the gospel. The gospel is very specific. It's talking about how do you receive from God? And there are people today in America, most people say that they've heard the gospel. You will hear people often say that people in America shouldn't hear the gospel two or three or four or a hundred times until the whole world has heard it once. And it makes sense if you take for granted that everybody in America has heard the gospel, but I'm telling you the vast majority of America has not heard the gospel. They've heard that there's a God and that there's a devil and that God is angry. And if you don't get out of line, if you get out of line, God's going to judge you. God's going to punish you that, you know, you're dangling over hell by a thin thread that's on fire. They've heard that, but they haven't heard the gospel. And they may even say that Jesus is the son of God. And they say, that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is specifically talking about how do you receive from God? In other words, it's one thing to say that God is almighty, that God can heal, that God can prosper, God can do whatever you need. But then if you say, and unless you straighten up your act, God won't move in your life. That is anti-gospel. If you tell people that unless you fast and pray, God won't answer your prayers. God won't use a dirty vessel. If you say any of those things, that is anti-gospel. And you can sit here and say that God is almighty and God can do anything. We've sang, how great is our God tonight. We sang all of these wonderful songs. Those are all good. But if people tell you that the way you access that power is you've got to be holy enough for God to use. You've got to be worthy. That is not the gospel. That is against what the Bible is calling the gospel. Let me just use two passages of scripture. Look in Acts chapter 20. 
And there's a lot more, but I'm just going to use two to, to verify the point that I'm making. In Acts chapter 20, Paul had a minister's conference and he called all of the pastors from Ephesus together and they met in this uh, resort area. And he was telling them about how he had not failed to declare the truth unto them. And he, and he said he knew that he was going to be persecuted when he went to Jerusalem. But here's what he said in verse 24. He says, but none of these things moved me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the good news, the nearly too good to be true news of the grace of God. The gospel is talking about the grace of God. The word grace, you can define it in a lot of different ways, but the simplest term, it just means unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's available to you, not based on your performance. If you begin to tell people that unless you come to church, unless you pay your tithes, unless you study the word, unless you do this and this and this, God won't bless you. That is anti-gospel. That's not grace. That's tying God's power and goodness to your actions. And this is primarily what the church is preaching today, that you've got to do this and this and this before God will do that. That is anti-gospel. That is against the gospel. That's not grace. Grace is something that God does for you. He doesn't do it in response to you. He does it for you. And I, I could teach on this uh, forever. But uh, grace is something that was poured out in Jesus 2,000 years ago. It says in James chapter one that Jesus was full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace was extended to this earth through Jesus. And in case you hadn't paid attention, that was 2,000 years ago before you or I live and existed, before we did anything good or not. God healed you based on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. By his stripes, you were healed, not by your performance, not by your prayer and Bible study and holiness. And the moment you start telling a person that unless you quit doing this, God won't heal you, you aren't preaching the gospel. You aren't preaching grace. You're preaching, you're tying God's ability to a person's performance. And this is where Satan has been destroying the body of Christ. Most of you believe in the supernatural power of God. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here on a Friday night listening to me. This is not your nod to God crowd. This isn't the Sunday morning only crowd. You know, the CEOs, Christmas, Easter, and what was the other one? Occasionally. Christmas, Easter, and occasionally. It's not the CEOs. You're the fanatics. You're either a fanatic or you were drugged here by a fanatic, one of the two. And if I said, God heals today, we talked about all of these people that got up out of their wheelchairs and you didn't tell them about the lady that was bent over, did you? And she was like 90 degrees like this on a walker. She couldn't straighten herself up, just like in the Bible. And at the end of our Friday night service, this woman just stood up, was straightened and threw her walker away and got to jumping and and hollering and praising God. Most of you are clapping and saying, yes, you know why? Because you believe God does that. 
And if somebody was to die, I've seen my son raised from the dead. I saw my wife raised from the dead. I've seen two other people raised from the dead. And when I tell you that I've seen people raised from the dead, most of you will believe that. But you know where I could lose the majority of people? I, if I say, all right, if you believe it, then you come up here and pray for this dead person. You know, there's a lot of you that don't have a doubt one that God can do it. I'm trying to help you understand what the problem is. The problem isn't that we doubt God can do it. We doubt God will do it because we have been, had it preached to us that you've got to be worthy. You've got to be holy. God won't use a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to use. <laughs> We're all in varying degrees of being dirty. You know, when you say, when, you, when I tell people that I've seen four people raised from the dead, people look at me, oh, who do you think you are? And immediately there's many people that take offense and they think that I am promoting myself some way or another because, because they think that God only used the really, really holy people. And if you are seeing miraculous results, then they just assume that you're projecting and, and claiming that you are somebody special. Man, God has never had anybody qualified working for him yet. God chose to use the weak things of the world, base things of the world, things that are nothing. But see, we have this thought, we tie God's power and ability to a person's holiness. And if we see somebody who's really being blessed, we immediately think, boy, they must be a holy person. That is not true. That is not true. I've tell you, I've been in ministry long enough to know that God doesn't heal people based on their holiness. I have seen people that uh, were living, you know, in uh, drug addicts, uh, alcoholics, people that were living in sexual sins that have been healed. And let me just drop a bomb on you. That you know what? It's easier to get unbelievers healed than it is Christians. And some of you are thinking, no way. Yes way. And you know why? Because the unbelievers, if you tell them that God wants to heal you, they think, me? God wants to heal me? And they say, yeah, because God is love, not because you're lovely. He's just love. He wants to bless you. Did you know what? Many unbelievers will just open up their heart. But Christians who are on this treadmill trying to perform and earn all of God's blessings, they just... They believe that God won't move in their life until they fast a little bit harder, until they read a little bit more, until they pray a little bit longer. And that is what stops the power of God from operating. You can tell an unbeliever that it's grace. God just wants to do it. And they don't have any goodness to offer up. And so they sing just as I am without one plea. And they come not professing their own goodness, but let them go to church for a little while and they will be polluted with you now have to live holy. You know, it's amazing. Look at it this way. Before you got born again, how many of you had been fasting and praying and going to church and paying your tithes and reading an hour a day and doing all of this? Some of you were whoremongers. You were living in adultery, you were lying, you were stealing, you were drunk, you were mean, you were miserable, and you received the greatest miracle that you could ever receive, which is the forgiveness of your sin when you were at your worst. Many of you were cheating on your mate. You were living in adultery and yet you got born again. 
But now that you're saved, if you have an argument on the way to church, if you don't agree, if you just have words, you're thinking, oh, I know God's gonna let me die of cancer and go to hell because I, I got angry at my mate. Can you understand how inequitable that is? You trusted in the goodness of God when it came to being born again, but now that you're born again, you gotta do everything right. Cross every T, dot every I in order to receive from God. If you would add that same attitude, you'd have never been born again. And the Bible says in, in Colossians chapter two, verse six, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you get saved? By singing just as I am. God, it's not about me, it's all about you. But when you come to be healed, when you come to be blessed, prospered, we feel like, oh man, what have I got to do? What, what do I need to do? Which buttons do I need to push to get God to do something? And you take responsibility for making yourself worthy. And it's this anti-gospel, it's this wrong gospel that has led people into putting their faith in themselves instead of a savior. The gospel is talking about the grace of God. Let me use one other verse over here in Galatians chapter one that says this exact same thing. In Galatians chapter one, in verse Six, it says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He's using the word grace and gospel interchangeably. He says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Did you know that this is what's happened in the church today? People haven't totally rejected it. It's not like they say, no, God can't heal. God isn't real. God doesn't move because Christians would reject that. It's harder to counter a perversion than it is an out and out denial. If people were just coming up and saying, no, God does not want to move in your life and answer your prayers, you'd reject that. But what they, Satan has done, he said, oh yeah, God is real. Oh yeah, he has power. Oh yes, these things can happen, but you've got to be holy. You've got to be worthy for God to move in your life. You know, y'all don't act like you're listening. You're just staring at me. I don't know if that's good or bad. Sometimes, sometimes that's good because that means you're thinking about it. But I don't know if you, if you really are relating to what I'm saying, but I can tell you, I talk to thousands and thousands of people and this is the problem. This is it. You may express it some different way, but I couldn't tell you how many people they come and they believe God's gonna, would you please pray for me? I've even had them say, I've prayed and I've prayed and he won't do it for me, but maybe he'll do it for you. <laughs> you know what they're saying? That I'm not holy enough, but maybe you are. They think a minister somehow or another lives holier and you know what? You don't have to be around very long to find out that <laughs> there's a lot of ministers that are not that holy. The only reason, if I was to say somebody died, come down here and pray for them, you believe it can happen, but you, all of a sudden, if I say you do it, you would lose your boldness. You might be excited if I say, I've seen people raised from the dead. I'm gonna pray for them and we're gonna see them raised from the dead. You might be excited because you believe God can do it. But when I say, all right, if you believe it, you come pray for them. All of a sudden, your excitement turns to dread. 
Your enthusiasm turns to fear. Now what changed? God's still the same. The difference is, see, you somehow or another think a minister is holier, that God is more prone to answer my prayer than he is your prayer. And it's just because you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. The truth is God's never answered anybody's prayers because you deserve it. None of us deserve anything from God. Boy, this has so many benefits. Once you understand this, it just, it allows you to rest in the Lord and quit trying to be a hypocrite and portray something. You're obtaining, you're trying to obtain this unobtainable goal of being perfect, perfect. You can't do it. You just can't do it. And the good news is God doesn't even ask you to do it. He asks you to just humble yourself and put faith in a savior. That's the gospel that Jesus paid the whole price. All of God's wrath against your sin and my sin was placed upon Jesus. God is not punishing you. I tell you, so much religious doctrine would change if people understood the gospel. Because they are thinking in a sense that you have to bear punishment for your sin. There's probably people right here in this auditorium that when I'm saying these things, you're saying, so your person can just go live in sin and still get a prayer answered. And what you're thinking is that's not fair. That person has to pay for that sin. I'm telling you, Jesus paid for your sin. You don't have to pay for that sin. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that you living an unholy life is acceptable and preferable because even though God doesn't bring his judgment on your sin, sin is an inroad of Satan into your life. Romans 6, 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield yourself to sin, there are consequences to that sin and you're gonna suffer. But, hold on. Fasten your seatbelt. Some of you, this is gonna rock your religion. Your sin doesn't affect God one iota. If you live holy, God doesn't love you more. And if you live unholy, God doesn't love you less. He loves you because of Jesus. And if you make Jesus your savior, then you become a brand new person and he loves you because you have the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ living in your heart and he accepts you based on who you are in the spirit and your actions don't even factor in to God's love or answers to your prayers. Now that's the gospel. But does this mean that you're just free to go live in sin? It means you can go live in sin, but you're stupid if you do it. Because Satan, it goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I guarantee you, you give Satan an inroad into your life, he's gonna eat your lunch and pop the bag. <laughs> and so you don't wanna do that. Why would you do that? Do you know, some people preach, if you don't go to church, God won't bless you. That's not true. If you don't go to church, you're stupid. But God will bless you, stupid. 
But Satan will take your lack of being around the word and lack of being around believers and he will use that to harden your heart and make you dull and insensitive to God. The scripture says that iron sharpens iron, so a man's countenance sharpens his neighbor or something to that effect. We need the, infect, the input of other people. We need the encouragement of others. We're a body. And you go to church for your benefit, not for God's benefit. God's not keeping church attendance on you. And if you go to church every time, then that guarantees you an answer to prayer. He's not keeping attendance on how much Bibles you read and all of these kind of things. And if you'll do all of these things, you can cash them in for one answered prayer. God loves you independent of your performance. He loves you because he is love and not because you are lovely. And once you understand that, man, it takes a lot of pressure off. And it, what it does, you will fail. I know some of you think, oh, not me. Just hang on. You will fail. You will make a mistake. Some of you right now are sinning in your attitude towards me. Amen. <laughs> but you know what? God loves you just the same. And I still love you. I'm not mad at you. But you will make a mistake. And once you understand that it's the grace of God, it doesn't make you want to go live in sin, but it makes it breaks the dominion of sin. Look at this verse over in Romans chapter six. This is a passage of scripture. You probably ought to look up in your Bible. You wouldn't believe this is in the Bible if you don't read it in your own Bible. In Romans chapter six, in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Grace is what breaks the dominion of sin. The exact opposite of what so many people are saying. There's people that say all the time, you're just giving people a license to sin. And I say, they're doing pretty good without a license. <laughs> people don't need a license to sin. I'm not giving people a license to sin. Titus chapter two, verse 11 says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. True grace enables you to overcome sin. It breaks the dominion of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you are under this concept of I've got to perform and I've got to do this and go to church and pay my tithes and live holy and do this and this and this and this and before God will move. If that's what you're thinking, you're under law. Some of you may think, well, I'm not under the law. I don't keep the Old Testament feast. I don't wear certain type of garments. All you've done is change vehicles, but you're on the same road headed in the same direction. You just have a different set of standards. You no longer have to do all of these things that were commanded in the Old Testament, but now you have to fast and pray and live holy and do this and this and this. It's the same concept. That's a law concept. And man, I wish I had time to explain this. I've got a teaching set entitled uh, The True Nature of God. I encourage you to get it. But I've got at least a dozen scriptures in there that say things like 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the strength of sin is the law. The law strengthens sin. 
If you want people to commit adultery, you know how to get them to do it. Go to preaching, thou shalt not commit adultery. You sorry thing, God's angry at you. God won't bless you if you are committing adultery and I guarantee you, you'll have a rash of adultery. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, oh, no way, that, yes way, that's exactly what the Bible says. Sin, the strength of sin is the law. It says in Romans chapter seven, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died and the commandment which was ordained unto life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That's talking about uncontrolled lust. You know, it's like this. If you, if you do, don't want somebody to do something, all you gotta do is say, I dare you. You can't do it. All you gotta do is say, thou shalt not. And there is, God created us not to live under law and to live under all of this stuff. And there's something inside of every person that resents being forced to do something. I don't know if you're relating to what I'm saying, but it's true. You know, when I was a kid, my job, one of my jobs was to take out the trash. I had to take out the trash. And I really didn't mind it so much when I was a kid. But when I got married... My wife started saying, take out the trash. And it's not that I might, it's just like, oh no. I married my mother. <laughs> and I resented taking out the trash because I was commanded to do it. And you know, finally, I just said something to Jamie and explained to her. And so, you know, she understood and she started saying, would you take out the trash? And when she says, would you take out the trash? I don't mind. Now I'm the guy that takes out the trash. I've been doing it for 40 whatever years, 42 <laughs> years. And you know what? I don't mind doing it, but it's when it was demanded, take out the trash, I resented it. There's something inside of us that just resent being told what to do. You know, I was running a race one time, a 6K race, and I had turned in a personal best already, and I was a quarter of a mile. I was about from, a little further than from here to the back of this auditorium, away from the finish line. And I had given it all I had, but I'm a real competitor. I mean, I have never thrown a game of anything in my life. When my kids were a year old, I beat them as bad as I could. <laughs> I told him, if you ever beat me, you're gonna beat me. I don't throw games. My dad told me that second place is first loser. So man, I compete. And I was getting close to this finish line and a guy started pulling ahead of me. He passed me and started passing me up. And I tried to keep up with him and he could tell that I was trying to keep up with him. And, and, but he, I just couldn't do it. And so he was pulling away from it and he looked over his shoulder, looked at me and he said in a real sarcastic voice, you could do better than that. And when he said that, it's just like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I never saw that show, but I heard about it. <laughs> and I mean, all of a sudden my adrenaline kicked in and boom, I passed that guy up and I beat him by a hundred yards. I don't know where that came from. When I got across the finish line, I passed out. I just, but you know, something rose up on the inside of me. Bless God, I will overcome, you know. 
You tell somebody they can't do it and your tendency is just to say, I will do it. God knew that. He knew how he made us. We do not like being told you can't do something. And the Lord knew that. So for those who were smug thinking that God, I'm really a good person. I think I've overcome my evil nature. I've turned over a new leaf. I'm so good that I know you're gonna accept me now. That's deception because the truth is it doesn't matter if you've quit sinning. What did you do with the previous sin? All of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God. You can't ever make yourself acceptable to God. God is so far above us that none of us can approach God based on your own goodness and your own merit and stuff like this. And so in an attempt for God to remove this deception that we were really good, I've overcome my flesh. I'm not an evil person. I'm a really, really good person at heart. Did you know the truth is, apart from Jesus, if you aren't born again, the nature of men is evil. You are by nature a child of the devils, what it says in Ephesians chapter two. And you have a spirit of this world operating in you. Every person that doesn't know Jesus has a dead spirit that is the nature of the devil. Did you know our founding fathers knew this? In their founding documents, this is some of the things they said. They knew that men were basically evil and they instituted government to control this evil in men. And you can read about it. This, is, this was common knowledge 100, 200 years ago. But anyway, today people think I'm really good. I'm a great person at heart. Not true. At heart, every person needs a heart transplant. We need to be changed. And so how does God get people out of that deception? He just says, all right, you think you're good? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And all of a sudden you start lusting for the very thing that God told you that you can't have. Let's just say, for instance, that you don't even like chocolate. Anybody in here doesn't like chocolate? Well, I see one hand. And we're gonna pray for you that you lie. <laughs> no, I know some people don't like chocolate, but you know what? The vast majority of people in here like chocolate. But even if you didn't like chocolate, if I said, you know what? I'm gonna give you a million dollars if you can go a year without eating any chocolate but you can't eat it and I am all knowing. And if you even think of chocolate, if you lust for it in your heart, it's like you've eaten it. Even if you didn't like chocolate, did you know if those were the conditions and you had this gold dangled in front of you out here, but you had to be clear, not only in your actions, but in your heart, I guarantee you'd go lusting for it, even if you didn't like it, just because Somebody is putting this prize there and you'd, you'd go to lusting for it. It's just the way that God made us. I heard a man one time use an example of an old bull that was laying in a pasture and this bull, you know, got convicted about how mean it was. It charged every person that walked through the pasture. And so this bull finally said, you know what? I shouldn't be mean like this. I'm gonna quit being a bull. From now on, I'm a sheep. And so this bull was sitting there saying, I'm a sheep, I'm a sheep, I'm a sheep. 
But you know what? You can't just change your nature by just making a New Year's resolution or deciding you're not going to be that way anymore. You got to be born a sheep. You got to be born again, if amen, if you want to change. And so anyway, he says, if that was true, and if a bull was sitting in a pasture saying, I'm a sheep, this bull's in deception. And it needs to come to the reality that you aren't a sheep just because you think you're a sheep. You got to be born a sheep. And so how do you pull that bull out of its deception? All you got to do is wave a red flag in front of it. And it makes that bull nature rise up. Now, did the red flag make the bull mad? No, it was the nature of that bull to be angry, but red just drew out what was already in there. This is what the law was given to do. The law was given not to help you overcome sin. It says, again, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the strength of sin is the law. The Lord gave the law to strengthen sin, not you. The truth is sin had already defiled every one of us. Every one of us was already corrupt. We were already beaten. And God was willing to extend mercy to us, but before you can receive grace, you first of all have to quit trusting in yourself and in anything else, and you have to humble yourself. It says over in 1 Peter chapter 5, God gives grace to the humble. If you don't humble yourself, if you don't come to the end of yourself and say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, if you don't humble yourself, if you still proclaim your own goodness like the Pharisee, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like this publican over here. I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. The Lord said that that man wasn't justified, but this publican, a person who was a thief and a traitor and helping the Romans oppress their own people, that man, he didn't even feel worthy to look up to heaven and he put his head down and he said, smote his breast and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, that man, the sinner, was the one that was justified and went down to his house justified. The one who was living a holy life. The one, did you know Pharisees were very holy? They paid tithes even on the spices that grew in their thing. They prayed multiple times a day and hired people to blow a trumpet in front of them so that everybody could see them praying on the street corner. Did you know a Pharisee could join any church in America and be accepted because they were a holy people, but in their heart, the thing that was wrong, they weren't trusting in God, they were trusting in themselves. They felt like God owed them something because they were being so holy. And Phariseeism is alive and well in the American church today. Most of us have been taught Phariseeism. Most of us have been taught that you gotta be holy in order to God move in your life. And so to bring you out of that deception, that's why God gave the law. It's like some of you thinking, well, I'm such a good person. I, I think I can make it on my own. And so God says, you think you're good let me reveal to you my standard. And he gave these laws. You know, there's the big 10 that we call the 10 commandments, but there are thousands of laws. There's thousands of them. Did you know if you're wearing a garment that's part polyester and part cotton, you broke the law. If you've got a mole on your body, you broke the law. If you're left-handed, you broke the law. If you're flat-nosed, you broke the law. If you're stoop-shouldered, if your posture isn't good, you broke the law. Most of you don't even know that. But that's what the scripture says. 
There's all kinds of things. You have to, according to the law, you had to offer a sacrifice every new moon. Most of you don't even know when the last new moon was, much less offered a sacrifice. It's amazing to me, people who say, man, you're still supposed to live under the law. You gotta do this. You don't even know what the law says. This is an exact quote from Galatians chapter three. You that wanna be justified by the law, you don't know what the law says. You can't live by the law. Nobody can live by the law. The Lord, Lord didn't give the law so you could keep it and thereby earn relationship with God. God gave it to show you that how strict he was, how holy he was, how his standard is perfect. And he raised the bar so high that nobody could get over it to make you despair of your own self-righteousness and to make you throw yourself on the mercy of God saying, oh God, if this is what you demand, have mercy on me, a sinner. The purpose of the law is to drive you to the end of yourself. One of the slickest deceptions that Satan has ever put over is to get the church to embrace the law and start preaching the law that unless you do this, God won't bless you. God doesn't love you. God isn't gonna answer your prayer. And they are preaching the law as a good thing. The scripture says that the law works death. Romans chapter seven. The law is a ministration of death. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse six, seven, nine. All say that the law was a ministration of death, a ministration of condemnation. The purpose of the law was to show you your sin. Romans chapter three, verse 19 says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. It doesn't give you knowledge of salvation. It doesn't show you the gospel, the grace of God. The law is given for people who are trusting in themselves to knock the wind out of you, to take your self-righteousness away so that you'll quit proclaiming your own goodness and throw yourself on the mercy of God. If you use the law like that, then that's good. This is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter one, that some people desire to be teachers of the law, not understanding what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless, disobedient, etc. The law isn't made for a Christian. You become righteous when you get born again. The law wasn't made for us. The law was given to drive people to their need for the Lord, but it couldn't save you and it can't break the dominion of sin. The law actually makes sin come alive on the inside of you, it makes you lust for things. And I've said a lot of things here. I know I'm putting a lot out right now, but here's the bottom line of what I'm trying to get across. The law is not the gospel. It is anti-gospel and the church today is preaching law for relationship with God, preaching performance, that God loves you proportional to your performance. And that is the very thing that is stopping the power of God in your life. Your sin won't stop the power of God, but you putting faith in yourself will stop the power of God. If you're, you probably wouldn't use these words, but if you're praying and basically trying to get across, oh God, I'm holy. I've been doing all of these things. What does it take to make you move in my life? That's a law mentality. And what you're basically saying is, I deserve it. Give me what I deserve. If God gave you what you deserve, every person in here goes straight to hell. And I'm talking about those of us that have been born again and serving God with our whole heart. I don't deserve anything but judgment. 
And somebody, well, I thought you were holier than that. When you see who God is, you know, I just don't have the words. I don't have the words to say what I want to say right here, but people that are proclaiming your own goodness and thinking that I'm holy and God does, I, you do have to live holy before God. You don't know God. If you were to ever be in the real presence of God, I've been caught up into the presence of God. And if you were to ever get in the presence of Almighty God, all of this self-righteousness and feeling like you're somebody special vanishes quickly. In the Bible, Isaiah was, saw the glory of the Lord and he fell on his face. Oh God, I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Ezekiel fell on his face as if dead. Daniel fell on his face as if dead and had to have an angel come and quicken him. Peter, when he saw the risen Lord, he felt naked and pulled his coat around him, threw himself into the water and swam to him and just on and on you could go. In the book of Revelation, John was like he was dead and the people that saw the glory of God, people who sit here and say, I de you know, I demand something. God owes me this. You don't have a clue. You don't know who God is. The scripture says, but they, I think it's in 1, Timothy cha or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, either 1 or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, but they comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. And this is exactly what most people do. Most people just look around and they think that as long as I'm, you know, above the median, as long as I'm not in the bad category, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm not perfect, but at least I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do, praise God. I'm, I think I'm good enough. God's got to accept me. You're comparing yourself among yourself. Boy, this is happening in our nation. You know, most things to most people is relative. And we look around in the society. Most of us are plugged into television and all this kind of stuff and we see so much ungodliness that as long as we're a little bit better than the really bad people, we think we're okay. God's standard has never changed. It's not relative to our culture. You know, there's a friend of mine, Arthur Burt, who lives in Wales. He's now 103, I think it is. And he used to travel with Smith Wigglesworth and we took our students over there. Were you guys over there and seeing Arthur, Arthur Bird? But anyway, we took our students over to Wales and we sat and talked to him. And, and I had Arthur come to our Bible school and minister, but I was just talking to him. I wanted to get his perspective, what things were like a hundred years ago. And he, he grew up in Wales, that's where he lives. And you know, some of the things he told me, I, I, he told us all kinds of things, but one of them, he says, one of the biggest things, when he was a kid, if you wanted to go swimming, first of all, women had, to, they had swimming costumes is what they call them. And they were up to the neck, down to the uh, wrist and down to the ankles. You were completely covered. And even though you were completely covered, they would put you into a little house on wheels, this little thing that kind of looked like an outhouse on wheels with a door and you would have to go into there and hide and a donkey would pull that thing out into the water and turn the door away from the shore and the woman would have to jump out and get in the water real quick. And if she wanted to get out, then she'd have to wave and they'd come out and get her. And even though she was covered from head to toe, she had to be in this thing. And 
Think about what it is now. I was on Miami Beach yesterday, and I mean, it's like. But you know, most people, I mean, there's a lot of people. We got Madison down here, a young girl. You know what? She's growing up, and what does she consider to be norm? And most people consider morality to be just a little bit more conservative than what everybody else is doing. Everybody else, just because they're doing it doesn't mean that this was God's standard. And so to most people, everything is relative. And as long as we're a little bit better than the culture, we think we're okay. But man, God never has done things relative. And this is the purpose of the law. It was to give you an absolute standard that didn't fluctuate and change based on society. It's like if you could imagine being in quicksand and you're sinking, but it's so slow, it's nearly imperceptible. And everybody else around you is in the same quicksand. It would be easy for you to do everything relative to everybody else and and relative to everybody else. Well, you're as good as anybody else and you don't even realize what's happening. But if there was a solid piece of ground over here and somebody put some pole or some measurement over here that, you know, had increments on it. And as you looked at it, you could see that, man, we're sinking. It could show you that, hey, we're in danger. I can't perceive it by looking at you because you're sinking at the same level I am, the same speed, but man, according to this standard, we're gonna die if we don't change something. That's what the law was. It was an unchangeable standard to show you that regardless of what the culture's like, this is God's standard. And it wasn't given so that you could keep it because you can't keep it. It was given to show you how incapable of keeping it you were so that you would quit trusting in your own righteousness and throw yourself on the mercy of God. And that's the purpose of the law. If you use it like that, then that's good to tell people that this is ungodly. This is not like God. You are giving Satan an inroad into your life. Satan is gonna come and take his pound of flesh. He will get his payment. There are consequences to your sin. And if you use the law like that to turn people from sin and turn them to God, that was the purpose of the law. But when you start saying, you've got to do this before God will accept you, that is not the purpose of the law. It was never given to be a basis of a relationship with God. It was given to amplify and to show you your sin. And it's very good at doing that. Condemnation, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, that the law is a ministry of condemnation. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We should not be living under the law. We shouldn't have this sin consciousness. And I'm saying that this is what is stopping the power of God from operating in people's lives. The reason they aren't healed is not because they don't believe that God can heal, but they think I'm not worthy. They don't have confidence. They don't understand how much God loves them. They're focused on the wrath and the punishment of God instead of the love of God. I prayed for a couple of people tonight that the Lord led me to tell them just, you know, they were saying, what am I doing wrong? And the Lord just spoke to me. He says, just forget what you're doing. Just focus on how much he loves you. Go to basking in the love of God. And as you focus on his love for you and just think about how much he loves you, how passionate he is about you, healing will come as a byproduct. 
The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. And I was telling them, just quit trying to figure it all out and go by your heart instead of your head. Let God love you. But most people won't let God love them until they get rid of these things. You know, I mentioned earlier that if you have a wart or a mole on you, you've broken the law. Did you know God didn't say that so that you could go burn the moles and warts off? If you're stoop-shouldered, he doesn't want you to wear a back brace and try and be something that you aren't. If you're left-handed, he doesn't want you to quit being left-handed and start being right-handed. Why did he say those things? For people who are thinking, I'm so good, I'm so holy, I know God loves me based on my goodness. God says, you think you're holy? Let me tell you that he didn't make Adam and Eve with a single mole or wart on their body. That is a result of sin. He didn't make people left-handed. You may be left-handed. There's nothing wrong with being left-handed, but Adam and Eve weren't left-handed. He didn't make people stoop-shouldered. He didn't make people with poor eyesight or a flat nose. If you are going to approach God on your own, you got to not just be better than the average. You got to be perfect or you need a savior. You know, I held a meeting in Houston, Texas, and there was a man, it was in a... Uh, Hotel. There was about two, three hundred people in this meeting, and a man walked by the doors out there and heard me, and he stood there for a while, and finally he walked in and sat down, and in the middle of my teaching, he stood up and started yelling something at me. He was either drunk or high on dope. It was hard to understand him, and I tried to talk to him, but he wasn't responding. So anyway, I just took my authority, and I said, I command you to sit down and shut up in Jesus' name, and boom, he just plopped right down. And as soon as the service was over, I went and talked to him. And you know what? I started telling him about the love of God. And I said, look, I don't know what your deal is, but God loves you. God can set you free. God can change your life. God can just make your life better than you ever thought. And I was telling him about the goodness of God. And this man, he says, I don't need any of that. He says, I am God. He says, I'm God. And you know what? That's the kind of person that the law's made for. I said, you're God. I said, you sorry thing. You stink in the nostrils of God. Man, I took the word and beat that guy to a pulp <laughs> with the law, saying the law says, don't do this. You're doing this. And I just showed him. And you know what? Within moments, this man who was saying, I'm God, was just sitting there in a puddle of tears crying, oh God, have mercy on me. That's what the law's for. And if you use the law to show somebody that they need God, that's good. But once you get born again, it's not the law that's going to set you free. It's grace. It's the gospel of grace. It's understanding that God loves you independent of your performance that makes your faith work. And this is the very reason that so few people who believe that God wants them well are well is because they know that he has the power, but they feel there's a disconnect because their own heart condemns them and lets them know that I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. And you just don't have the confidence. You don't have the confidence. You think God wouldn't heal somebody like me. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you understood the gospel, I've tried to present it tonight you'd find out that God loves you not because you are love, lovely, but because he is love. God just loves you. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. 
You can't make him love you more and you can't make him love you less. Now, there's a lot of things you can do that will make you love him more. And there's things you can do that will make you love him less. I'm not telling you to go out and start living in sin. But I'm saying the reason I study the word isn't to get God pleased with me. It's to renew my mind to what he's already done. Studying the word, praying, going to church, living holy changes my heart towards God, but it doesn't change God's heart towards me. And that in a nutshell is, I believe that that's where the church is primarily missing it. They're saying live holy so that God will love you. I'm, I live holy because God does love me. Independent of my performance. And I am so grateful, so thankful for what God does that I'm serving him out of love, not out of debt and not out of obligation. You know, I am, this is going to shock some of you, but I am absolutely convinced that if I was to go out and commit adultery on my wife tonight, God would still love me. And the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. Did you know what? I'd still have the anointing of God on my life. And I know that, boy, this just rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But why don't I do it? Because first of all, I love God. And that wouldn't please him. He'd still love me, but that's not pleasing him. And I want to please God. And second, I love my wife. And I wouldn't do that to my wife. So I still live holy, but I do it out of love and gratitude, not out of fear of punishment. And if I was to do that, even though God wouldn't withhold from me and he wouldn't take my anointing away, Satan would come in and man, I guarantee you, people would quit listening to me as they should. Because if I can't appropriate and walk in the things that I'm preaching, well, then you shouldn't be listening to me. And I would lose the, uh, the people that God has brought to me. I would hurt untold number of people and there would be damage. And I guarantee you, it would be absolutely stupid for me to do that. But I don't live holy because I'm fearful of losing God's anointing, losing God's blessing, losing the call. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I, I stand in my relationship with God by grace and my performance is not essential for God loving me. He commended his love toward me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And now that I'm a saint, God loves me even more. God's love was commended to me when I was in sin. So God isn't going to withdraw his love from me, but I could do untold damage to my life, to my wife, to my ministry, to people who've been touched through me. It would just be stupid, 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 dumb to the second power, dumb, dumb. I mean, it's dumb, dumb for people to sit there and live in sin and to do things. If I never studied the word again, God would love me exactly the same, but I wouldn't love him the same because these truths, man, they are life. They speak to me. God speaks to me through this word. God, everything that I've told you, did you know I've not heard, I didn't hear anybody preach on the things that I've shared to you tonight. I've heard since the Lord gave me this revelation, I've heard other people, but I'm saying I got this from God out of the word, out of studying. 
If I was out living in sin and just doing stuff, I wouldn't have had a revelation of these things. It wouldn't have set me free and it wouldn't have set anybody else free. I study the word. I live a holy life, but I don't do it in order to get God to do something. I do it in gratitude for what God has already done and to keep my heart sensitive to him. You know, I'm glad that God called me to preach grace because if I was a person that was just out living in sin and a whoremonger and doing all of these things and living a terrible life and preaching grace, then the people who criticize grace says, you're just using it for an excuse to sin. They would have a criticism that it would be hard to refute. But you know what? I live a holier life than most people that I know. I've met very, very few people who have lived as holy of a life in the natural as I have. Now that doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't make God love me more or make God love me less, but I'm saying I have lived a holy life and this teaching didn't increase my ability to go sin. Grace actually empowers, if you understand the true message of grace, it will break the dominion of sin over you. It will set you free from sin. You'll fall so in love with God that you won't lust for all this other stuff. I heard a testimony of a man today who was a homosexual, an alcoholic, a drug addict, and he turned to the Lord and he was describing laying on the floor, just crying snot all over him. He was just a puddle in front of the Lord. And he said he felt so much love, it beat any high, it beat anything that he had ever been through. I've never done those other things. I don't have a comparison on it, but you know what? I can guarantee you, I love God so much for what he's done in my life that I'm serving him out of love and not out of fear of punishment. Fear has torment. But when you serve him out of love, there isn't any torment associated with it. If you ever understood how much God loved you, man, you would serve him. You would be a fanatic. You would, you, would, you would do anything. I'd give up bubble gum if I thought that that would help the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, I have. I guess it's been 40 years since I've had any bubble gum. But anyway, I'd give up anything if I thought that it pleased the Lord. I'd do anything. You know, we, I just recently had Happy Caldwell, who's one of the instructors at our school, and, and he has a church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he has over $30 million worth of church facilities that he and his wife built from scratch. And I'm not sure exactly how old Happy is, around 70 or something like that. And uh, did you know what? God just spoke to him and told him to give his church to somebody else. He had a new assignment from him. And he's walking away from a church that he spent 30 years building, $30 million worth of facility, and he's just turned it over to somebody, doesn't even have a vote, and walked away and is in his next segment of his life. And I was at a conference where he was teaching on this, and he was talking about the grace to do it and how that we go through stages, and he was challenging the people, would you be willing to walk away from things? And you know, right now, we just built a $32 million building, counting our other building down in the springs and everything. I think our balance sheet shows we've got like $59 million worth of assets. And it's taken me 46 years of ministry 
to do this. We're just now getting traction. I believe that we have the potential to literally influence the body of Christ worldwide. And good things are happening. But as he was challenging us, would you be willing to walk away? And it didn't take me two seconds. And I said, absolutely, God, I'd walk away from everything you've given me if I felt like that's what you wanted me to do. It's no problem. I'm not married to those things. I'm married to Jesus. My focus is on him. And if God wanted me to move to Africa and teach in some you know, grass hut in some remote village, and if I was for sure that's what he wanted me to do, I'd be glad to do it. And I'm saying that that's what grace does. Law doesn't do that. Law will make you find out what do I have to do? Grace will say, God, what can I do? Is there anything else you want me to do? You will serve God more through grace than you ever did through law. So I encourage you. I went through a lot of things quickly tonight, but I encourage you to ask God to help reveal the gospel to you because if you ever really understand the gospel, I guarantee you it will release power for healing, deliverance, prosperity, joy, peace. If you are at a deficit... In any of these areas, it's because you are at a deficit of understanding the gospel. And very few Christians have a pure gospel. Most of us are living under a mixture of law and grace. And I tell you, that's no gospel at all. So praise God, this will change your life if you'll receive it. I want to offer tonight that if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, even though I've been talking to Christians, I've preached We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.